Happy Monday, May the 27th. We're gonna backtrack a little bit here because some of you had questions about some names I just tossed out, and then we'll get back to Tyndale, but it's gonna take us till next week, all right? Between Huss and Tyndale, there were amazing developments. Um, we ended last week with a discussion of the printing press with movable type. In other words, now you can actually use the same carvings for more than one book. You used to have to carve out a word and that's all that would do. Now it had movable type. And I've actually worked with movable type. My dad had one of the old fashioned printing presses. And I would, um, I would set the type backwards and upside down so that whenever it hit, it read correctly. It was tedious, but kind of fun at the same time. Anyway, Wycliffe had taught that he wanted the common person to read scripture in his own language the way he would normally speak. That was revolutionary, but it didn't get too far. Then the printing press comes. And then we find, five years after the invention of the printing press, the birth of an individual named Thomas Linacre, L-I-N-A-C-R-E, if you're looking him up. He was born in 1460, and he was, he was the first, in my opinion, of a group of people born at exactly the right time to get us to Tyndale and what's about to happen through Tyndale. There is um, John Colette Erasmus, um, that was in 1466. Luther was born in 1483, Tyndale 1494. So you see this group of people from different countries, um, Germany, the Netherlands, England, they're being born at exactly the right time to start moving us to where we can have a Bible. Again, before, people just didn't have one. Wycliffe first preached and translated some of the scripture, and without him, these other guys couldn't have done anything. So God's putting people in, in place. If I may be so bold, I believe that our Safe Harbor Church is another act of God, because I didn't plan it. I'd been tossed out by a church because all I heard was they wanted to go a different direction. I still don't know what that meant, but I, I was gonna go back to academia because that's kind of my wheelhouse and work in science because that's what I really love. And yet a group of people literally on the day started calling me and bombarding me, hundreds and hundreds of text, phone calls, people showing up at our door saying, no, 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 let's start something different a church without bricks and mortar, a church that doesn't have to pay utility bills, replacing the carpet in the sanctuary and all the other, but instead where the money goes to keep broadcasts like this going, and of course pay ministers bills. We're not gonna Ananias and Sapphira this. We do get our bills paid with this. And then also that it can get out to all of the world. And I had no idea. So God always does this, these kind of surprises. He was doing it back then back then. And none of these guys, by the way, would have made much of a dent without Gutenberg and his printable, his movable print and his printing press. Well, Lenacre, <clears throat> we mentioned him. He, uh, he got a handful of doctorates, literally, um, in medicine, philosophy, science. And as it was the custom of the day, once he had those, he decided to go get the highest doctorate available, which is theology known as the queen of the sciences in Western Europe for 
well over, well, maybe not quite a thousand years, but right in there. After two years working in refugee camps, see, this good guy, for those displaced by the fall of Constantinople, and I really would love to run down a rabbit hole there, but ah, gotta stay here. He returned to Oxford and he studied the oldest Greek text of scripture then known to exist. We talked about that last week, about how that's always a constantly unrolling, changing thing. But he was very troubled because when he read the oldest manuscripts, the text differed so much from the Latin Bible that they had, known as the Vulgate Bible. That uh, was the only Bible allowed at the time, was a Latin Bible, Vulgate Bible. There were so many differences between the, the text he was reading and the Latin that he confided to a friend in a letter, which still exists, quote, either I am not a Christian or the ancient texts before me are not the gospel. Did you get chills? You should have gotten chills. So he joined that secret society that we mentioned earlier, the Lollards. Some, by the way, I have run across a couple of people, a couple of writers that question whether he was really in the Lollards. Most say that he was. This secret society was formed for the exact purpose of getting out from under the yoke of Rome, especially secular life. It was not a, really a religious trend, uh, reformation group, but rather let's get the church over here and government and governmental power over here. And that was considered heresy of the worst sort. So that's why it was secret. And so Lenacre confided to a man named John Colette that the Latin Bible, again, only Bible available, was seriously corrupt and did not represent what the ancient manuscripts that Lenacre was able to find said. Well, Colette was disturbed enough about this to take a leave of absence from his work, and, uh, and he went to Italy and studied ancient biblical Greek. Now think of this. These people are so dedicated, they stop their lives. They leave their country. They learn new languages so that they can read the older manuscripts. We have people like this, this even today. Back in the early 1900s, you had the two, was it 1900s or 1800s? You had the two sisters of Sinai. Just look up that phrase. And there's a wonderful little book written about these two sisters, never married. They keep getting into St. Catherine's Monastery where Tichendorf had found some ancient manuscripts. They find more. And when they find manuscripts that are in a language they don't know, they learn it. It's just amazing. We should have statues up to these people. Anyway, two years later, Colette returns to Oxford, and that's in 1496. And he and Lenacre produced the first book of Greek grammar ever produced in England. And you might think, who cares? Oh my goodness, you've just handed people the key. Now they can learn Greek and they can go back and look at some of these manuscripts and maybe they'll see what Lenacre saw. The future King Henry VIII, not a nice person, made Lenacre his personal physician. And back then, a personal physician also was your personal pastor. 
They gave religious instruction, moral instruction and advice, which obviously King Henry VIII didn't take, but all of you, I think, probably know what happened to King Henry VIII and, and, and most of his wives, but how he was tossed out of the Catholic Church because he wanted to divorce and remarry. Uh, so he just started his own church. While King Henry VIII was a horrible human being, God at least had Lenacre in there. And that was a well-placed person. While all this is going on, by the way, <clears throat> fall of Constantinople is still sending shockwaves through all of society because that means that Islam, the Muslims, have taken the second holiest city, or if you're an Eastern Catholic, the most holy city, and God has been defeated, and the refugees are, are, are rushing out of there, and that's upsetting the whole social order of the day. You, you had lords, you had serfs, you had, you had rules in society, in class, and all of a sudden, these, your brothers and sisters in Christ are, are just flooding in from Turkey, Armenia, from everywhere east, getting into Europe. That, um, by the way, again, I really want to go talk about that because of all the treachery with, by Christian against Christian that caused the fall, but I, I won't. Instead, these refugees brought with them their stuff, and in that stuff were scrolls of books that the West didn't know existed because in the East, they were preserved, and in the West, they didn't know anything about them. All of a sudden, you could read if you knew Greek. Oh, and we could if we only had a grammar of, oh, Colette and Lenacre gave us a grammar. And we can now read Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, the early church fathers, the early letters of the church, the early sermons of the church, all preserved in the East, completely absent in the West until after 1453 and the fall of Constantinople. And then in the decade after, as these refugees continue to permeate Europe, the Roman church did everything it could to block these books, but enough got through. And John Collette was so taken by these, these, these books, but also by these older manuscripts in Greek of the Bible or Bible books that nobody had access to. Nobody had access to this. And now we've got older, we can see at least a thousand years before the Vulgate and say, wait a minute, the Vulgate is not, is not a Bible translation if you want to talk about any accuracy whatsoever. So, <clears throat> he, John Collette was so taken that he did the unthinkable. He let his enthusiasm get away from himself and he stood up and preached the words of scripture without explaining them away. He read at St. Paul's Cathedral in London the words of St. Paul to his congregation. And he came back week after week and just read them the scripture 
in their language. The common people for the first time were hearing scripture in their language. And again, yes, Wycliffe had sent out some little streams, but this was very different. This was at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And then he said he did not believe that anything said, any proclamation from Rome had more authority than the words of Paul himself. And to say that in public was jaw-droppingly brave. You might say even foolish. Little side note, and we're coming right back. Rome used scripture when it wanted to. Uh, and again, today, you go into a Catholic church, scripture's all over everywhere. So please, we're talking history, we're not talking today. Um, there were, when, when Rome used scripture, they tended to treat it as allegorical, not literal. And in fact, there, is a, there was a bishop from North Africa called Origen, who was the first to write about scripture this way extensively. And again, I'm over, oversimplifying things, but he turned everything in scripture into symbolism and metaphor. Um, instead of uh, the story of Noah and the ark, no, it's not about Noah, it's not about an ark. You have to get mystical languages and messages from which animals were gathered first and the sacred dimensions of the ark and then take that number and apply it to it. It was just, well, John Colette completely rejected that. He preached the words of Paul and said Paul meant what he said. It's not an allegory, it's not a metaphor. And at these words, here we go, here we go. You had to go there, John. He said, these words of Paul are superior to any words that come from the Pope in Rome. How do you, how do you get away with that? Well, <clears throat> English society at this time had its own quirks that people don't quite understand today. Going to London, for example, is not the same as going to the city of London. That's a separate area within the boundaries of London. I think people in New York could understand some of this better because they have boroughs there. And those boroughs are, you know, are things of pride and distinction and don't you dare confuse them. Well, John Collette, his father was the mayor of London, which meant that he was in, his dad was in charge of what gates were opened, what gates were not. Literal gates blocking your traffic, street traffic, pedestrian, carts, anything. And he would have men at every gate. This was very, very common. The common people, by the way, weren't allowed to travel places unless they have a letter to get through each gate. It is, um, it's a different world. So the Inquisition did reach out and threaten John Collette, but they couldn't reach him. Um, Rome knew that England was ripe to rebel against Rome, and they didn't want to push too hard. Besides, the Lord, the Lord Mayor of London, those men at the gates, they were well-trained. They were armed. He had some power. At Oxford, Colette taught um, the work of Lenacre, um, but he taught the young men there. Women were not allowed at Oxford uh, for a long time after this, which is tragic and awful and all that. I'm so glad that we're making progress. Much more to go. He taught, um, Colette taught his students 
how to read Greek and then translated it into English. And he even publicly said that the Vulgate Bible was an awful Bible and not a translation of scripture. So he was breaking the law on many, many points. Uh, his students loved him, the faculty didn't. Um, they, that's when they sent him back to preach at St. Paul's Cathedral because they thought nobody would hear him there. At St. Paul's at that time, less than 200 people would come to church on a Sunday. When they sent John Collette, thousands came every week. Listening and reacting was a young man named Erasmus. Remember him? Erasmus decided, we, we just really need a new Greek New Testament so all scholars for the, can see for themselves how awful the Vulgate is. We just need to pour some sunshine on this. So, um, by the way, he got death threats immediately. He was expelled from his teaching job at Oxford. He was told the government was coming to arrest him, so he fled England never to return. He found refuge in Switzerland, and there he published his Greek New Testament that had the Latin text side by side with the Greek text and the ancient text, rather. Um, and by the way, there, there's a lesser known story here uh, about Cardinal Zemenes of Toledo, Spain, not Toledo, Ohio. He published a complete Bible that had both Testaments in Greek, a Hebrew version of the Old Testament. He also did that one. And he also did a Latin translation of the Old Testament. For some reason, it's almost impossible to get much information about him. But Erasmus's story is better known. So I, I just need to give you the fact that there was a cardinal in the Catholic Church that did a massive amount of work and we, we just don't have much history on him. But he was obviously a brave and incredibly intelligent fellow. Well, Erasmus didn't just put out scripture and the side by side. He actually put in the notes all of the errors in the Latin text and the false doctrines that sprang from the errors that were in the Latin text. And he said, quote, I utterly dissent from those who are unwilling that the sacred scriptures should be read by the unlearned, translated into their own language. I wish that even the weakest woman should read the gospels, should read the epistles of St. Paul. I long that the husbandman, that's a, a man, a, a common working man, the husbandman should sing some portion of them to himself as he follows the plow. Well, England wouldn't allow the book to be imported into that country. And Erasmus, although he was the most learned scholar of the day, no question, he was a poor salesman and he did not make a lot of, um, of progress with that. Still, the word was being produced. The Bible was rolling out to us. And let's just in this last minute, take a deep breath and understand that this chopped up, difficult and probable story for many people makes them cast doubt on scripture. Well, I think that we need to acknowledge how we got our Bibles and we need to acknowledge the human element in their writing, in their preservation, and in their translation. But we should not fear because our salvation is not based upon having a completely perfect 
translation of original manuscripts no one has seen for 2,000 years. I, how would you base your salvation upon that? But instead, our salvation is based upon the one to whom these books lead us. And then you might say, but if we don't know all of this, we won't know all the stuff we're supposed to do. The Bible has never ever told you that you need to know all the stuff you need to do. Instead, you have faith in Christ. And what did Christ say? The Holy Spirit will guide you. So just keep your eyes open. Keep your head on a swivel. What does God want right here, right now, with these people today? What can you do in this store, in this schoolroom, in this wherever you are? What encouragement, how can you show them Jesus? Not by preaching, but as St. Francis, I think, was rumored to have said, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Show them the love of God, the Holy Spirit through you. That's how we're saved. It's by the promise of a loving God, not by our perfection achieved, by creating and preserving a perfect book. All right, more later. God bless you. Please stay tuned. This is a fun ride.